Hey, hey, folks, it's Mark Atobri here, dusting off another episode from the old Maximus Mark podcast show. This one is with Bruce Jones from the National Institute of Integrative Medicine. Back in the day, I also had him at an Eat Your Way to Web seminar where he presented on this as well. Phenomenal guy, truly knowledgeable. Look, you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. I do a really good intro on this one, so I'll cut this intro short and let's get straight into it. Speak to you all, speak to you on the other side. This podcast is proudly brought to you by MaximusMark.com and Enterprise Fitness Personal Training. For Melbourne's most professional and knowledgeable personal trainers, contact Enterprise Fitness on 1300 887 143 or email info at enterprisefitness.com.au. Hey, hey, it's Maximus Mark, and welcome to the show that punches you right in the face with information, but in a good way. It's Maximus Mark, and today I have a truly enlightening show about heavy metals and detoxification. I mean, there are many opinions about just how to detoxify heavy metals. However, today we're going to hear from a true expert and master in the field with Dr. Bruce Jones from the National Institute of Integrative Medicine right here in Melbourne. Dr. Jones graduated from the University of Melbourne in 1980. Following three years working in the public hospital system, he worked in general practice for many years where he specialised in counselling and chronic pain management. His particular interests lie in postgraduate medical education, the integrative approaches to prevention and chronic treatment of kidney disease, and best practice in management of heavy metals, chelation, and detoxification therapies. Bruce presently serves as a senior lecturer in integrative medicine at the National Institute of Integrative Medicine, or NIM for short, in East Hawthorne, and is a member of the International Society of Nymphology. We were lucky enough to have Dr. Jones at our last Eat Your Way to Ab seminar, where he blew the minds of all the participants when he dropped massive truth bombs about the effects of heavy metals and just how to detoxify them. So it's my absolute pleasure to present to you today this absolutely awesome podcast. Welcome, Bruce. Absolute pleasure to have you on. So before we get rolling, uh, I really want to just kind of get a bit of a background. So um, tell us, how did uh, Dr. Bruce Jones become Dr. Bruce Jones? I mean, how did you become one of Australia's leading authorities on integrative medicine? Well, about two years ago, I was invited to take up a position as a senior lecturer in integrative medicine with the newly formed National Institute of Integrative Medicine in Melbourne. Uh, and to specifically develop educational programs, both at an undergraduate and postgraduate level, uh, to teach people the importance of integrating the best of conventional medicine with the best of natural medicine. And uh, it's really just developed from there. Um, the uh, programs we have, uh, of course, now available in, in, for the general public, uh, on complementary medicine and health, and uh, we're currently developing a postgraduate course uh, specifically designed for general practitioners and naturopaths and any other healthcare practitioner, and the first modules in that should be released um, sometime late next month. Wow, that sounds really awesome. Now, you're, you're the one who's actually putting the, the, a lot of the course material together, is that right? Yes, yes, that's my uh, principal role at the Institute. Yeah. 
Cool. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you definitely have access to all those, I guess, all the research and then basically putting that research into a practical format and telling the practitioner, essentially, this is what you do with all that research. That's right, because the, the, there's a huge amount of, huge volume of research that's been published, particularly in the last 10 years or so, that most practitioners um, don't have the time to be able to access or to make sense of. And this is one of my interests, is to be able to uh, crystallise the, the essence of a lot of this good published uh, scientific research and in, bring it down to a level that practitioners can use day to day in their clinical practices. So in other words, we can safe to say you are the go-to guy on all things when it comes to the, the functional medicine. So we're in good hands today and getting some good info from you, <laughs> for sure. So for I still have got my L plates on, my friend. <laughs> I don't, for some reason, I don't believe that. Um, for, for the people at home who have never considered heavy metal toxicity, can you tell us a little bit about what it is, uh, why, and how might heavy metals become a problem for an individual? Sure. Um, heavy metal toxicity is basically where heavy metals build up in the body and the body's natural detoxification mechanisms struggle to get rid of them. It's purely a question of input versus output. For example, if you live in an area that uh, you have a lot of environmental exposure, say, for example, you live near a, a, a coal-fired power station, uh, or you live in an area where there's a lot of heavy industry, uh, then you're much more likely to be exposed uh, to heavy metals than someone who lives in an idyllic um, you know, tropical island, for example. So where you live does make a big difference. Again, if you're living close to a major road or a major freeway, uh, you're going to be much more exposed to some of the heavy metals that... Uh, emit from diesel fumes, uh, cadmium, for example. So these are sorts of the things that you may never think about but may be affecting your life every day. But there's a couple of other ways in which heavy metals can become a problem for the individual. Uh, through genetics, um, of course, you know, we inherit half our genes from the mother and half our genes from our father, but it's not always... Uh, sometimes it's the father's genes that are largely expressed, sometimes it's the mother's genes. And this applies to our detoxification pathways in that our genes very much influence our ability to detoxify heavy metals and other environmental chemicals. Uh, diet is obviously a factor. If, if you uh, eat a lot of um, uh, fish, particularly large fish like um, shark or swordfish, uh, that can be a problem with methylmercury. And the other main way that the majority of people uh, get exposed to heavy metals is through dental amalgams. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Yes, we will. So I guess let's start with the basics, and the basics would be, I guess, testing and screening. So how would one test for heavy metal toxicity? Well, the simply best test is a hair tissue mineral analysis. Now, this is a fairly simple test. It requires uh, just a sampling of hair, preferably from the back of the uh, head, 
and close to the nape of the neck. Now, hair grows at the rate of about a centimetre a month. So if you get the two to three centimetres worth closest to the uh, scalp, you're going to get the most recent results of what's happening both at a nutritional level and a heavy metal level. You can take uh, samples from other parts of the body. You can use uh, pubic hair. Uh, you can use axillary hair, but that has a few problems, mainly with underarm deodorant. Or you can use toenails, and toenails are very good, uh, except that it tells you what's been going on 12 months ago, because, of course, toenails take a long time to grow. Right, okay. So the hair mineral analysis, what labs do you recommend for hair mineral analysis testing? Well, the National Institute of Integrative Medicine only uses interclinical laboratories in Sydney. Uh, they are the Australian Agents for Trace Elements Incorporated, which is a specialist heavy metal uh, testing laboratory in Addison in Texas. It's a lab which has been in operation for 30 or 40 years and has you know, tested well over a couple of million samples uh, from you know, people worldwide in that time. Their tests are very, very reliable, uh, they're very accurate, and the report is excellent. Right, right. And uh, so they're the only lab that the NIM recommends, is that correct? We've looked at uh, laboratories from right across Australia. There's a number of other service providers, as well as other providers in Europe and the US. Um, there, we found that in terms of reporting standards, in terms of the amount of usable information that we can get from any one report, they're not as good. There are also a number of the labs uh, uh, wash their hair samples and rinse them, which whilst not affecting the heavy metals so much, certainly affects the nutritional element readings and can make them somewhat unreliable uh, from specimen to specimen. So um, we use, there's only a couple of laboratories in the world that don't wash their hair samples prior to processing and Trace Elements Incorporated in Texas is one of them. Right, excellent, excellent info. Um, Gary Rutten from California asks, is there any tests you can run to ensure blood-brain barrier integrity before starting a heavy metal detox? That's a very good question, and the simple answer is no. There is not one test on the planet that you can do to ensure that. Now, the adult blood-brain barrier is like a couple of sheets of a cling wrap or glad wrap it's a very, very effective covering, and it uh, protects the brain from a lot of exogenous uh, metals and chemicals. Uh, however, there's a couple of situations in where the blood-brain barrier uh, can be breached. And the first is if you have a major head injury that can cause all manner of damage to the barrier. The second, if you have a major stroke, uh, and the third is if you get a really high fever, such as with a good dose of influenza or if you're unfortunate enough to get a good dose of malaria or um, uh, Q fever or um, dengue fever or something like that. That alters the permeability of blood-brain barrier and you are exposed during that period of time where the body temperature is above about 38, 38 uh, five degrees Celsius. 
But apart from that, no, the uh, human blood-brain barrier is normally fairly intact. Righty, righty. So it's not really something that you necessarily need, but just maybe be conscious of if the patient has a head injury or a stroke or a fever. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So sources of toxicity. So the most common place, as we spoke before, to be exposed from he uh, heavy metals are dental amalgams, uh, big fish, uh, breast milk if the mother is toxic, and the environment. Can you offer the listener uh, an example? Uh, I mean, before you offered the, the example of um, when you say environment, you were talking about in the seminar when we had you at, you talked about if you live close to a cold mining, was it, or...? Um, the, the yes, power stations. power stations. Where you've got power stations that are burning uh, coal. Um, now, this is, of course, Australia depends uh, for a lot of its baseload energy on uh, brown coal in Victoria and black coal in the other states. <clears throat> but countries such as uh, China, for example, are putting in huge numbers of coal-fired power stations. Um, and the problem with coal, of course, if, if you think about where coal comes from. Now, coal is formed from the deposition of plant material uh, from millions and millions of years ago. So the plants have been growing. Uh, they've absorbed uh, mercury and cadmium and other heavy metals from the air. How did they get that? From volcanic activity. Volcanoes are one of our other major sources of environmental heavy metal contamination. People don't realise this. But volcano, you know, Mount Etna in Sicily, for example, it spews out huge amounts of heavy metals, such as mercury, and I think it's actually been quantified, into the atmosphere around the Mediterranean, and then that spreads right over Europe and uh, North Africa. And... Um, of course, that's been going on, that volcanic activity has been going on for millions and millions of years. So the plants that were around, you know, 200, 400 million years ago or, or more have absorbed all these heavy metals from the air, from the atmosphere. They've died, they become compressed into peat, and that further becomes compressed into brown coal and then black coal. And so we go and dig it up, we put it in the power stations to fire the boilers. Guess what happens? All of that, uh, those metals become released back into the atmosphere again. And so the cycle continues. Right, right. So um, someone might think for a second, they might say, oh, well, you know, we live in, in you know, suburbia, Melbourne, you know, we're not going to uh, get that much exposure. But that's, that's incorrect, isn't it? Well, well, totally incorrect. Um, <clears throat> they, they, you know, the um, with the uh, problems with the Fukushima nuclear reactor, uh, within the space of a couple of weeks, they were detecting, um, I think it was polonium, in the air over the US and then later on over Europe. And certainly with the Chernobyl disaster, um, the contamination from that nuclear accident ended up worldwide. So just because you live you know, in the Southern Hemisphere, you're not immune from what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere and vice versa. Yeah, so that's why everyone really needs to consider heavy metal toxicity. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
Now, a little bit more of a specific question comes from Roldov Torres. Uh, he asks, are there any jobs such as, say, for example, mechanics uh, that may have uh, you know, a consistent higher toxicity level of heavy metals uh, and all that maybe uh, can do a metal detox as a standard practice? Okay, so there's two questions there. Uh, there are jobs that uh, for sure can have toxic levels of heavy metals. Well, the ones that we know for certain is anyone involved in dental practices, whether they be dentist, dental nurse, uh, endodontist, orthodontist, uh, anyone who plays around with the mouth is going to be exposed to mercury. We know that for sure. Uh, there have been autopsies done on, a series of autopsies on dentists who have died from natural causes and they found that there was a, a six-fold increase in mercury in their kidneys, uh, greater than six-fold in the occipital cortex, that's the back of the brain, and an over 81-fold increase in the deposition of mercury in the pituitary gland. And the pituitary, of course, regulates all the hormones uh, that we need to control bodily functions. So dentists are at high risk. Uh, other groups who are at risk, of course, anyone involved in working with metals. That might be sheet metal workers. It might be welders. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so anyone in metalworking industries uh, at, at high risk. Anyone involved in home renovation. We've seen a couple of cases recently where people have been occupationally uh, for a living, uh, renovating very old buildings. And their um, arsenic and lead and cadmium levels were sky high. And um, this is to do with, you know, particularly lead in old paint um, and um, the exposure to other metals that, you know, in their environment. So they're the main groups. Um, what can you do? The second one is maybe they can do a metal detox as a standard practice. It's not as silly as it sounds. Um, it's probably not a bad idea to do that once or twice a year, um, to do some sort of detox, but I would strongly recommend testing first so that because certain types of detoxes work better for certain metals and not as well for others. Right, so you really got to know which, which heavy metal you're, you're going to pull out to use the right uh, supplement. Yeah, yeah and exactly, because one size does not fit all. Yeah. For sure. Now, let's, let's delve in a little bit deep into that amalgam issue we were speaking a little bit about before. Now, there are many, many functional medicine practitioners and biological dentists going around basically telling everyone to get the mercury amalgams removed, um, you know, flat out, get them removed today. Now, you gave some stats in the seminar saying that 70% of people do have an improvement, 20% of people have no effect, and 10% of people actually get worse after having them removed. You have a strict protocol when it comes to recommending if someone should actually get their amalgams removed. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, I could talk to you for an hour about that, but <laughs> we would run out of time very quickly. Um, yes, th there's a number of things that you've got to do before you consider the elective surgical removal of a dental amalgam. And let's face it, it's just like any elective surgery, okay? There are potential risks with any elective surgery. Typical things, bleeding, infection, pain, and in this case, breakage of a tooth. One of the problems with amalgams 
is that you're dealing with damaged tissue. And because the dentist originally, when they uh, are placing an amalgam, they actually have to excavate a lot of healthy tissue around the area of decay in order to place enough amalgam to make it hold. Now, this uh, amalgam, of course, is a mixture of metals. It's not a metal alloy. It's a conglomerate of uh, mercury, of silver, of a bit of tin, a bit of zinc, a bit of copper, and occasionally a bit of indium. Now, as you um, have hot drinks or cold drinks, those metals, just like rocks in the ground, expand and contract, expand and contract, and that sets up microfractures within the dental material. Now, over time, those microfractures can become a major fracture, and particularly if you have a dentist drilling away, trying to get rid of the last bit of that amalgam, it's very easy to have uh, a breakage of a tooth. And that's a bit of a disaster because that's again going to, that whole procedure releases mercury into the bloodstream and can be one of the reasons why this 10% of people get worse as a result of that procedure. So the question is, what do you do to try and pick those people for whom it's going to be beneficial as opposed to those who it's going to harm? Uh, we can't reliably say for those who are going to, it's not going to make any difference. I can't pick them yet, uh, but I have a pretty good idea as to who it's going to benefit and who it's not. And the way we do that is that we start off with what's called a functional liver detoxification profile. Now, this it comes as a test kit, and it, it's quite simple. Um, it's a, a challenge test for the liver's detoxification pathways from three substances. One is pure caffeine, the second is aspirin, and the third is paracetamol. And the idea is that you start off with uh, some caffeine tablets, and then you take saliva samples uh, two hours, and I think it's six hours later. And then later on, you take the aspirin and paracetamol, collect urine overnight, and you sample that into uh, little test tubes and send the saliva samples and the test tubes off to the lab. And what they'll do is actually look at the metabolites of caffeine, aspirin, and paracetamol, and then that will tell us what's happening in phase one pathways as well as four of the phase two pathways. And people who are deficient in glutathione or may be very low in glycine, which is an amino acid, or who may not be able to conjugate uh, some of the uh, toxins, uh, and paracetamol is a, a classic toxin, uh, can be positively fatal in overdose, um, you find that these people can't clear these um, substances out of the liver uh, and so they're the ones who are at high uh, risk of having adverse reactions to a dental amalgam removal. You with me? Yeah, 100%. Now, we can do some confirmatory tests. So that's the functional liver detoxification profile. Uh, there's a couple of laboratories that do it in, um, in Australia. One is HealthScape Functional Pathology 
and the other is Nutripath Laboratories in Melbourne. They use the same protocol and the same um, same test, testing procedures. Uh, the test from uh, Nutripath is considerably less expensive than the HealthScape one, so we routinely use them. Yeah. Um, and the result's just as reliable. They're um, equally usable. The second test that we sometimes do is a red cell glutathione. Now, you've probably heard of glutathione. Glutathione is a very, very important antioxidant. Consists of three amino acids bonded together, and one of the ways in which, one of the main ways in which the body gets rid of mercury and other heavy metals is to bind it to the substance glutathione and get rid of it out of the body. So we can measure the level of glutathione in the bloodstream, uh, which is a red cell glutathione. The next test we do is called an apolipoprotein E status. Now that's a that's a big word, <clears throat> and um, it measures a protein. There are a number of these apolipoproteins floating around in our bloodstream. Uh, some are good, some are not so good. This particular one, apolipoprotein E or APOE for short, uh, comes in three varieties. Uh, it is a variety called 2-2, 3-3, and 4-4. And you can have mixtures of those. You can have a 2-3, and you can have a 3-4, and you can have a 2-4. Um, basically, one of the genes has come from your mother, one gene from your father. Now, 60% of the population have what's called 3-3, and that gives you an average detox ability. Okay? Yep. Uh, a 2-2 is excellent as far as detox is concerned because it means that you're very, very efficient at getting rid of heavy metals. And if you've got 4-4, four, four, you've got real problems because um, it's the apolipoprotein E is one of the main ways in which we also get rid of heavy metals. And uh, if you've got a 4-4, four, four, you're mechanisms are very, very inefficient. And so these are the people who tends to build up in and are therefore predisposed to early onset of Alzheimer's disease. Right. But, but the Alzheimer's and uh, I guess the, um, the accumulation of mercury in the brain is where that whole Alice in Wonderland Manhattan came from. Yes, mercury is highly what we call neurotoxic. It poisons off brain cells. And if you have this apolipoprotein E44, or even if you have the more common 3-4 variant, uh, you can't get rid of mercury out of brain cells. It poisons the neurons, and they basically die off. And you can see this in people... Uh, in their late 50s, going into early 60s. These tend to be the people who end up in nursing homes quite early on in life, uh, in sort of late middle age. Uh, whereas people who have, say, got three, four, yes, they can still end up in the same nursing home, but it might be 10 years later. Right. Yeah. Because they're slightly better, they've got a longer way to go, but they're still, yeah. they're still not immune. Yeah. So the, the yeah. absolutely critical, you, you need to run the functional liver test, you need to run the um, red blood cell glutathione test, and you need yes. to run the, is it a genetic test that you're running? Yes, it, yeah. it's called an APOE genotype. Yeah. Uh, we get it done through uh, St. Vincent's Hospital Pathology in Melbourne, uh, you can also do it through Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, 
pathology in Sydney, <clears throat> and I'm not sure in the other states, but I assume that most states will have one hospital that can run the test. Uh Unless you got referred from um, someone, I guess, a practitioner from the National Institute of Integrative Medicine, if you went into your local GP and asked for this kind of test, they, they would look at you blankly, correct? Um, most of them should know about APOE testing. Uh, they may not know about the other two tests. Right. Okay. And just on the functional liver test, if someone is supplementing with, uh, say, let's say they're already supplementing with glycine or some folic acid or something that essentially um, speeds up liver detoxification, when they do the functional liver test, they should get off all supplements, including caffeine um, and things like berries as well, I, I saw in the, in the notes sheet that the functional <coughs> liver test comes with? Yeah, preferably... Uh, no caffeine, aspirin, or uh, paracetamol for about 48 hours beforehand. Yep. Uh, and any amino acid supplements, and that includes whey protein, right. uh, don't have that for 48 hours because your glycine, uh, of course, is one of the things that shows up in this test. Right. Because glycine works two ways. Both it binds heavy metals of its own accord, uh, that's called a process called glycination. And secondly, it's one of the three amino acids making up the glutathione molecule. And what we tend to see is that the body will try, if there's a limited supply of glycine, it'll tend to put it into glutathione um, manufacture rather than, rather than keeping the glycine just for the binding process of glycination by itself. Okay, glutathione is such an important molecule that that has, it's sort of like top dog, you know, that has a priority uh, throughout the body. And would you, just I guess an off question, but would you recommend supplementation with glycine just for everyday, I guess, health? Only... Uh, if we have someone who has got a low level of glycine or glycination on a functional liver detoxification profile or has a low level of glycine on a blood or urine amino acid analysis, yes, you would. But you usually have to supplement other things as well. Righty, okay. Cysteine is the most important because the available of the amino acid cysteine is rate-limiting for glutathione synthesis. Now, what rate-limiting means, if you ain't got enough of it, the whole process is slowed down. Okay, so cysteine is actually the most critical thing, and whey protein doesn't have much in it. Right. Uh, pea protein isolates have far more cysteine than does whey protein or soy protein. Yeah, yeah. And so what I recommend to people is that instead of just using whey protein alone, use a blend. Yeah. You're much better off having a blend of, say, whey protein and pea protein than whey protein alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, the most common source of metals for many of the listeners would be fish. What, what fish? We spoke before about big fish, but can you, do you have a quick list of uh, fishes that people should avoid? Yeah, bas basically flake or shark is the number one culprit in Australia. Um, swordfish isn't as common, but it, it's certainly around. Uh, big fish, uh, tuna can be a problem if you're having a lot of it. You know, a, a, a can of tuna once or twice a week is not going to make that much difference unless you're one of these APOE 4-4 uh, 
individuals, well, then it can be. Uh, the other one that's not well recognised is flounder. Now, for heaven's sake, if you go to a restaurant, do not order flounder because it's a bottom dweller. Right. And it uh, lives in fairly shallow waters and um, it gobbles up everything that's on the bottom of the ocean. And um, flounder is quite deadly. People don't realise that. The other two, which uh, I don't know if you have any listeners in Japan, but for heaven's sake, do not eat whale meat or dolphin meat because they are absolutely loaded with mercury. They, they're big mammals and they cannot excrete it. It gets trapped in their tissues. And if you eat it, you're going to get poisoned with mercury. No question about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's bad for the environment as well. So yeah. your, your thoughts on, uh, I know this is a completely loaded question, so we might not go too in-depth with it, but thoughts on vaccinations as a source of heavy metals? Okay. Not, much, not as much a problem now as it used to be. Okay. Now, I had a look recently in uh, what's, uh, what, the, um, what vaccines contain mercury, and there's only three at the moment available in Australia. One is the um, Japanese encephalitis fire, uh, vaccine, which is designed for people travelling to Asian countries during their summer. Japanese encephalitis can be positively fatal. It's not very common, but can be positively fatal. I think it's um, mosquito-borne. The second one is Q fever, which is an endemic problem in far north Queensland. And the third are some, but not all, of the hepatitis B vaccines. So you have to check with, if you're going to need any of those three, check with your doctor to assess whether there's thiomerosol in it as a preservative. Thiomerosol consists of about 49% ethyl mercury, which, whilst not quite as toxic as methyl mercury from fish, it's still injected straight into muscle and therefore into the bloodstream. So the major problem is going to be with some of the hepatitis B vaccines. Having said that, five to ten years ago, uh, this thiomerosol was a preservative in tetanus toxoid or tetanus shots or adult ADT, which is the adult form of, of diphtheria tetanus toxoid and they were used extensively and of course prior to that um, that was used in a lot of the vaccines for children but they have been all phased out so that's why I'm saying it's less of a problem now for people who are being vaccinated but if you were vaccinated 10, 15, 20 years ago then it still may well be a problem for you today Righty, righty. So um, coming back to getting that, those tests done. So uh, Thomas Werlin from Sweden has a good lead-in question before we start talking about supplements and protocols. He asks, yes. how do we prevent exposure with lifestyle habits and is there anything we could do on a regular ba uh, basis to clean out the body from pollutants? Yeah, excellent question. The, obviously, the most important thing is an organic lifestyle uh, with the avoidance, wherever possible, uh, of polluted environments. 
Okay, so wherever possible, getting organic uh, fruit and veggies, uh, filtering your water, especially getting rid of fluoride, and something that a lot of health conscious folks are not well aware of is that you, you, you think you're doing the right thing, uh, jogging along by the road, um, filling your lungs with this wonderful polluted um, diesel fumes and so forth, you're, what you're doing is poisoning yourself. You can be getting all the exercise and inhaling all the fumes. It's a disaster. You're much better off jumping in a car um, and heading off somewhere out in the bush, going for a bushwalk or if you've got bike racks, throw a bike on the back of the car and then go off for a, a, a nice uh, ride on you know, a, a country road away from heavy traffic. It's something that is just not realised. I, I just look at people when I, I'm driving to work and they're jogging along you know, to the main roads and I thought, you guys are crazy. You, you're off your cotton-picking brains. What sort of health benefits do you think you're going to get uh, if you're loading yourself up with um, diesel fumes? It's insane, <laughs> hey. You know, Absolutely. it's just crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. They might as well go out and... Uh, I've heard it's the equivalent of smoking um, a couple of cigarettes. And if you do it in some more polluted cities like, say, New York or LA, um, it's the equivalent oh. of, of smoking cigarettes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or if you've got a smoggy day, uh, and certainly with Melbourne and Sydney, you can get days where you get uh, temperature inversion and uh, all the uh, particulate matter in the air stays down lower in the atmosphere. So if you go out you know, jogging on those days, you're in for strife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Now let's switch gears to talking about protocols and supplements, which uh, I've got a lot of questions from different practitioners all around the world. Um, let's start with uh, a myth, and it's a popular myth going around, at least in some of the communities that, uh, that I'm a part of. There is a myth cycling around that Corella is, a, is, a, is needed, a, is, is indeed, it's a very good heavy metal detoxifier. However, it does move mercury, but it moves mercury from the body to the brain. Now, this is completely false. Is that true? Completely false. And, and the simple reason is that the key uh, binding uh, molecule in chlorella is chlorophyll. Okay, now chlorophyll, as you realise, is the green stuff in, in green plants. And it's a fairly large molecule. In fact, it's the same size as our heme molecule, which makes up the core of hemoglobin, which we need for carrying oxygen around in our red blood cells. It's quite a large molecule. It's, in fact, almost the same. It has a magnesium core as opposed to an iron core in heme. But effectively... They're the same size, same structure, and they're too big to cross the blood-brain barrier. So from a practical point of view is no chlorella cannot under any circumstances apart from the rare situation where you've had a stroke or a head injury or a high fever. Um, they're the only situations where it, it's even theoretically possible. Right, right. So chlorella is perfectly safe to use. Absolutely. Awesome. Excellent. I know you get me some Corella. <laughs> if, 
If people suspect heavy metals, um, is there anything they can do as a, as a general defence against heavy metals bombardment that, that, that we face, say, if they don't have access to testing? Yes, there is. Uh, and there's a, a couple of products which uh, can be very, very useful in this regard. One is called Algotene, A-L-G-O-T-E-N-E. Now, this is a marine phytoplankton, uh, and it's a fascinating thing to look at under the microscope because these little critters come into colour, colour forms. One's green and one's orange. And the green ones are all filled up with this chlorophyll that we've just mentioned, and the orange ones are filled up with carotenoids, such as we get in, obviously, carrots and apricots and peaches and uh, bananas and so forth. Now, these carotenoids act as antioxidants, whereas the chlorophyll acts as a heavy metal binder. Uh, so uh, algatine is it's actually made in Australia. Uh, the the um, little uh, phytoplankton uh, called Junalayella salina has actually been used extensively throughout the uh, Middle East in um, land reclamation uh, uh, trials uh, where they're using bioremediation of um, poisoned swamps to try and get rid of the heavy metals. The, basically, the uh, Ginoleella uh, multiplies in these swamps. They adsorb the heavy metals that are uh, in the you know, bottom of these swamps, and then they get rid of the um, you know, residue. And there's actually been there's quite a number of published papers that have been doing this for you know, 20 years or more. Uh, and, and now we have this, the availability of having the algatine as a daily supplement, just uh, one twice a day. And uh, that's uh, very, very good. A couple of other things we could mention. Uh, zeolites, you may have heard of uh, zeolites. They've been around for a long time. They're a special type of clay called a Montmorillonite clay, which has a very, very open weave structure. And it's a very good adsorbent. Um, a bit like a sponge. Uh, the only thing is it, it not only absorbs heavy metals, but it also it tends to absorb some of the useful metals like zinc and magnesium as well. So it's the sort of thing that you can use as a short-term detox, uh, say a, a couple of capsules twice a day for a period of three months, but not something that you have on a long-term basis. One other uh, product which uh, I might mention at this point uh, is something called microsilica. Now, microsilica is available from a website uh, in the States, uh, biopure, B-I-O-P-U-R-E.com, and it's a fascinating uh, compound. It's basically a silica-based molecule. Uh, and it binds heavy metals in the gut and basically exports them out the rear end. It uh, doesn't get absorbed. It's very, very safe and uh, very effective. And, and that's something that, again, uh, as far as we know, can be used uh, low dose in the long term. But, I, again, I'd be more inclined to use it for sort of short periods, you know, say three to six months at a time, and then reevaluate your hair just to see um, whether you need to continue to use it.
Excellent. Well, that's definitely some good stuff. Out of all of them, the Algertine sounds the most, I guess, broad-based and the, the best to kind of use on a, on a daily basis. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah, well, well, it's two products in one. As I say, if you look under the microscope, half these little critters are green and half of them are orange. And the orange ones are giving you lots of nutrition in the form of beta-carotenes and a number of minerals, uh, whereas the, the green ones do all the mopping up work. Uh, so it's a, yeah, it's a, a novel sort of uh, product, and uh, the clinical trials that have been run with it have been uh, very, very impressive. Excellent, excellent. And once the metals are within healthy range, do we still need to use supplements for protection against uh, things like mercury and uh, aluminium? Well, how do you define what's a healthy range for a heavy metal? Healthy range is zero. Right. <laughs> in my book, they're poisoned. Yes, yes. You know, there's no such thing as a healthy range for a heavy metal. There are for nutritional elements, absolutely. Both, both nutritional elements like calcium, magnesium, and zinc, and so forth, and some of your trace minerals like strontium and vanadium and lithium are all needed in trace amounts for good biological purposes. But heavy metals. What, what you sometimes get confused is a difference between a healthy range and what's called a reference range in a population. Now, let me explain. When um, the researchers are looking at the quantity of any particular variable, say it's hemoglobin or uh, a blood um, uh, sugar, say, in, in a given population, say you take a 1,000 people, you test all these uh, people for this particular uh, ingredient, and you get a population range. And that reference range has a mean, which is the 50th, 50th sort of percentile, and then you have what are called standard deviations on either side, and you come down, uh, and your two standard deviations either side cover roughly from about 3% at one end to 97% of the population at the other end. And this becomes what laboratories uh, publish as their reference ranges. It means that if you are outside of that range, you have 3% chance or less that this figure was occurring by chance. You with me? Yep. Okay. So you can safely say that if your level of mercury in your hair is twice the upper limit of the reference range, that it is highly, highly unlikely that that's happening by chance. It, it's likely that you're excreting a lot of mercury into your hair, and therefore it's reflective of your total body burden. Um, but your reference range should really be zero. Your normal range for heavy metals is zero because even small amounts are going to poison off key enzymes throughout the body. And I have been absolutely astonished in my research finding out how many different enzymes, key enzymes that, that catalyze biological processes can be stuffed up by even small amounts of mercury. And I could spend, again, half an hour just talking about what that does, but of course we're going to run out of time yeah, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in, in other words, just to kind of summarise that point, um, it's very common to see a ref uh, it's very common to see uh, metals in someone's body. However, it's certainly not normal to see it because normal should be zero. 
for these heavy metals. And Correct. these are things not just mercury, but lead, arsenic, cadmium. And then things like beryllium, antimony, uranium, uh, cesium, uh, platinum, tungsten, things like these that you'd normally not even think about. Aluminium, um, these things you don't sort of routinely think about but can certainly contribute. Um, there's a metal called gadolinium and that's used in a number of contrast studies with MRI scans and that can be a potential poison if, if you have to uh, need many of those. Um, and there's a whole lot of other ones which, again, we what some of them are tested for in your routine um, hair mineral analysis, but some of the others we can only test for in urine. And what we do is that we, for people who have high levels of mercury or other heavy metals in their hair, we do what is called a DMPS challenge test. Now, a challenge test is basically where we give a certain quantity of a chelating agent called DMPS uh, through an intravenous strip uh, in normal saline, takes about an hour, and we get the patient to collect their urine for 24 hours before the test and 24 hours after the test. And then we send it off to a laboratory in the US uh, called Genova Labs, and they analyze it for us, and they send us back two reports. And then what I do is that I sit down and I compare the two reports, and I compare that with what is the level of metals in the hair. And that way you get a really good overall picture of what's going on. All right, right. I was just actually about to, uh, to get onto that. Brooke Lustick from New Zealand asks two questions. The first is, what's your thoughts on an oral versus suppository DMSA? Okay, in Australia, uh, there is, we only use oral DMSA. Uh, what you might be thinking about is the suppository form of EDTA. Now, EDTA is a different chemical. It's been around for a long time. It's primarily used for the treatment of lead and cadmium toxicity. Uh, it's available for use intravenously or in rectal suppositories. Uh, but DMSA uh, is very close to the DMPS, which I mentioned. Yeah. It can also be used as a, a challenge test in situations where a practitioner doesn't have access to intravenous uh, facilities. It's not as accurate, but it's certainly a lot better than nothing. Uh, and again, you use the same 24 hours before and after protocols. Yeah. Um, DMSA is a drug uh, in Victoria. It can only be prescribed by uh, licensed medical practitioners. Um, and it's potentially quite toxic. Uh, in fact, you have, a lot of the problems have been that people have stuck to a standard dosage of this stuff and wondered why some people got really, really, really sick. Uh, it, it can be quite poisonous to the liver in overdose, but in using the correct dose, uh, it's a very, very useful chelating agent. Now, the question is, how do you work out what's the right dose? 
And the simple answer is you've got to look at your functional liver detoxification profile that I mentioned earlier. By looking at the relative phase one and phase two pathways, you can actually, I have actually uh, created a uh, table whereby one can very quickly work out the correct dosage on a milligram per kilogram basis. Right. And for those people who utilise um, that dosage, they don't run into problems. Yep, yep. The next part of her question was, um, she's heard from other practitioners that you should pull mercury out first before lead. Is this true or do you have any thoughts on this? Um, DMSA will chelate both at the same time. Okay. Um, the same will happen with algetine, with microsilica, with zeolite. They will both take them out at the same time. Uh, the one thing you must never, ever, ever do is to use EDTA alone where you have got any mercury in the system. It's deadly. I've seen too many disasters where EDTA recirculates. You were mentioning about chlorella. Chlorella doesn't do it, but EDTA will. It'll take mercury out of the body and shove it in the brain and it cannot get it out of there. So it is much safer is something ADTA is something I don't like using, um, except in very, uh, very, very defined specific circumstances. DMSA is a much better uh, chelating agent, and uh, you have to use it in the correct dose. Excellent. So on the home stretch now, only a couple more questions. But the next question is from Dane McDonald from Sydney. He asks, what's your thoughts on Corella versus chelation for mercury? What do you prefer and why, or would you use an integrated approach? And if so, what's your rationale for that? Okay. Um, different people accumulate different amounts of toxins. And... People who have low amounts of toxins, such as heavy metals or environmental chemicals, don't need chelation therapy. They need some good detoxing agents. As I said, algetine and microsilica and the uh, zeolites are very safe and very effective detox agents. Uh, chlorella is just the same. It's also a very good detox agent. Uh, spirulina is not so good. Uh, if you're going to... Not for detox purposes anyway. Chlorella is much better. Now, how do you assess whether you need chelation or just detox or a combination? At the National Institute of Integrative Medicine in Melbourne, we have instituted a heavy metal detoxification program which addresses just this issue. Uh, by doing the appropriate tests, including the functional liver detoxification profiles and the heavy metal uh, uh, hair analyses, we can actually ascertain uh, which people need chelation and those who are going to be just fine on uh, naturopathic detoxification processes alone. So the simple answer is it all depends on your level of toxicity and that has to be tested. You've got no way of guessing it um, uh, otherwise. You know, some people who can feel really sick um, 
may not have a lot of heavy metals. They might have a lot of environmental toxins in which the approach needs to be somewhat different. Um, and you can have other people who who don't feel too bad and actually get on with their lives pretty well, and yet, amazingly, they can be accumulating a lot of junk. So um, <laughs> yep. you can't predict it. You, no, you you, can't. You've got to test for it, otherwise you've got no idea at all. Yeah. And mercury gets all the attention when it comes to heavy metals. What about cadmium, arsenic, and lead? Or are they just are they just as important? Best forms of an assessment for them, is it still the same as uh, the, the standard testing procedures? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. They're all cumulative poisons. They affect different tissues. For example, lead largely affects bone and brain. Uh, in the bone, it poisons off the bone marrow. So one of the things that you see with kiddies, for example, with lead poisoning, is they become very, very anemic. Uh, cadmium, it, it, dis it distributes a bit more widely, uh, quite a bit in the kidneys, quite a bit in the liver, uh, quite a bit in bones, so it sort of spreads itself around. Um, one of the problems with cadmium is that it is carcinogenic. And if you don't get rid of cadmium, it increases your risks of cancer. Not any specific, one specific cancer, but uh, the risk of cancer as a whole. Uh, arsenic is uh, a ubiquitous poison. Again, it, it uh, behaves very much like mercury. Um, and again, it gets into mitochondria in cells and poisons off the energy production in cells. So arsenic's not a good thing to have. And the other thing is that the more variety of metals that you, you collect in your lifetime, the cumulative effects that they have one with another, they, uh, they have what's called a synergistic effect. That is that their effect is greater than that of the individual metal. You with me? Yeah. So a bit like uh, you, that's why herbalists use different herbs in combination to get a synergistic effect. The same happens in a detrimental sense with heavy metals. Right, right. And what other toxic elements should we look for? Be looking at apart from the big four when it comes to improving our our clients' health and well-being. Well, the other key one that we see cropping up all the time is copper. Now, around 30% of Australians, uh, and this also applies, I believe, in America, um, and I'm not too sure about the figures in Europe and Britain, but certainly in Australia and the US, around 30% of the population have copper levels above that upper limit of the reference range, okay? Now, copper does some nasty things in overdose. It's essential as a nutritional element and around 60% of the population have it within the normal range, about 10% are actually low. And the people who have low levels of copper actually need copper supplementation because uh, it can increase their risks of cardiovascular disease quite significantly. Okay, But if you've got high copper levels, it alters the way the brain functions and it alters the gut function. It binds to what's called the proton pump in the stomach and acts like a proton pump inhibitor that you may have heard of that are dished out a bit like lollies these days. Yeah. Um, and, and it 
lowers the production of hydrochloric acid. Consequently, if you're having a nice big steak and you're um, copper toxic, you're not going to be able to break it down. And a lot of it's going to go undigested, which is a waste of a darn good steak. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and a lot of these people who become copper toxic swap from red meat to white meats and then they go from chicken and then they go to fish and, and finally they find that even fish is too hard to digest and end up becoming vegetarians. Now, there's nothing wrong with the meat. The problem is that you've got too much copper and that's, that's readily tested again with 24-hour urine tests and some blood tests. Righty. That's great. What, uh, and just, I guess, to get some final thoughts on things, what are your final thoughts on... Um I guess, everything that we've spoken about today, in summary or in closing? In closing, the, um, it's a bit like what the, you know, sort of uh, the police and the judges say in courts of law. Um, not knowing is no excuse. Okay? So if you've committed offence and you don't know you've committed that offence, that's too bad. The law's all written down there. You, you're meant to know the laws. Well, how anyone can possibly know all the laws these days is, is beyond my comprehension. They keep manufacturing just thousands of jolly things every year. But in terms of heavy metals, not knowing is, is not good enough. You've got to know. It's a bit like knowing what your cholesterol levels are, what your blood sugar levels are, what your kidney function is doing. Very important. Most people have got no idea uh, that their kidney function can be impaired. It might be down 20, 30, 40%, and you won't even know it, and yet it's affecting your health. Uh, your blood sugars might be high. Your homocysteine levels can be high. Uh, lipoprotein A levels can be high. You can be a guy who's in his you know, sort of late 30s or early 40s jogging along and have a heart attack and think, you know, your family thinks, why the heck is someone who's so healthy and, and so fit Drop dead with a heart attack. The reason is they've got accumulation of this protein called lipoprotein A, which is a little bit different from the apolipoprotein A, B and E that we were talking about earlier. Uh, these are things that you need to know what they are. And with just heavy metals, it's just the same. Unless you test, unless you know, you can face the consequences whether you like it or not. Definitely. That's, that's some pretty good closing thoughts, I have to say. So I guess what are you working on at the moment? Well, at the moment we're, we're um, continuing to get the um, NIM uh, Fellowship Program in Integrative Medicine up and running. The first three modules uh, we hope to have up towards the end of next month and closely followed by another couple of modules within a couple of months' time. Uh, as I said, this is a 300-hour postgraduate master's level program, uh, which I've put together, uh, which we're hoping to become the stand, gold standard for uh, training of integrative health practitioners throughout the country. Um, and uh, so my efforts uh, concentrated on getting that up and running and um, being released for uh, the whole public. And of course the other thing that takes up most of my time 
is um, ensuring that we've, we've launched the heavy metal detoxification program, making sure that people are aware of it. And uh, thank you, uh, Mark, for the opportunity of uh, letting uh, practitioners know that uh, and patients know that this is available. If I may, I'll, I'll just give you some uh, phone numbers to tell uh, listeners where they can get their heavy metals tested. Absolutely. Um, now, the, uh, for the National Institute of Integrative Medicine, for anyone who's in metropolitan Melbourne or the Mornington Peninsula or in surrounding areas, the phone number for NIM is 039 8040646. I'll say that again. It's 039 8040646. You'll find us at 759 Burwood Road in East Hawthorne. And the website is www.nimfinelli.com.au. Now, for people outside of Melbourne, I would suggest that you ring. Uh, interclinical laboratories here in Sydney and ask them for a list of referring practitioners in your local area. They will have a list of people who send them in hair mineral analysis on a uh, tests on a regular basis and their phone number is 029-693-2888 and on the web www. Uh, Dot interclinical or one word in lowercase.com.au. So that's for anyone else in Australia. Now, what about if you're in the US or overseas? And I would suggest there that you contact Trace Elements Incorporated, uh, who are in Addison in Texas, and I'll give you their phone number. It's 800 824 2314. That's 800-824-2314. Ask for customer service, and again, they'll be able to supply you with a list of practitioners who can refer you to their services. Excellent, excellent. Now, I know that there are some people who have just listened to this podcast and just about jumped out of their seat when you said that you're putting together a 300-hour course because I know there are a lot of health practitioners who, who listen to this show. Are you able just to share a little bit more information now? Is that available to, I guess, even personal trainers, nutritionists, dietitians, medical doctors? That's available to, I guess, anyone who, who, who wants to learn this? Specifically being written for practicing healthcare practitioners. Okay, As I said before, it's taking stuff that the researchers are publishing in scientific journals, trying to translate that into something that GPs, naturopaths, and osteopaths, and dietitians, and pharmacists can use in their day-to-day -day, uh, practice. Um, if you're not a practicing healthcare practitioner, you would still benefit from a couple of the units, the one on clinical nutrition, the one on herbal medicine, that's units two and three, uh, and they're going to be released shortly. But some of the other later units, uh, you would really, really struggle with. Right, right. You're welcome to try them. You're going to be uh, climbing Mount Everest. I think I've got a few people on the call who will, who will jump right in. I, 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 know, I know there are a lot of people out there who, who love learning and um, you know, they'll be forever indebted once they, they get their teeth into the material. <laughs> so, and, the, and to get into that course, they just contact the National Institute of Integrative Medicine. Is that, is that right? 
Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, there are details on our website, uh, but contact the Institute uh, and uh, they'll um, get me to send you an email or just send an email uh, to uh, clinic at nwim.com.au. Uh, that's clinic at nwim.com.au to say that you're interested in the fellowship program uh, or in the heavy metal program or preferably both. Um, And um, then I'll get in contact with you and uh, send you out all the details. That is absolutely awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the line today, Bruce, and just sharing with us just absolute gold uh, in terms of the information. I know there are going to be I'm going to get a lot of great feedback about this podcast because um, what you've shared today is nothing short of absolutely world class. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your contribution to the uh, the field of integrative health. Um, it's absolute pleasure having you on, an absolute honour uh, to have you speak at the seminar last month. So thank you so much, and we we wish you all the best. Thank you, Mark, and all the best for you. What did you think of that, folks? The podcast with Bruce Jones. Back in the day, the interview I did with him, awesome stuff. So that's Bruce Jones from what I think now, I'm not sure if he is with the National Institute of Integrative Medicine or if he's not. So if you call them, you may or may not find him. Um, It's been a long time's past since I did this interview with Bruce. But nonetheless, fantastic information. And I do need to put a disclaimer on it. If you're a personal trainer out there and you're listening to this for the first time, Listening to this podcast does not make you an expert at detoxifying heavy metals. Detoxifying heavy metals is serious stuff. Now, I remember I did a course with uh, Mark Schaus, who's also been on this podcast show, and he said he had a client who was very, uh, well, basically just didn't listen to him, didn't take his advice in the dosages for the DMSA, and uh, he woke up in the middle of the night and he was peeing out a ready silver liquid which was uh, the metals that were scraping uh, his basically, uh, you know, pee hole essentially on the way out. And it, it caused, you know, a fair um, bit of damage on the way out. So, I mean, you've you got to detoxify people slowly and you've got to really understand how much and how serious it is and how long it's been in the body. So uh, testing and not just testing, because it's the biggest thing with functional health and functional medicine is that it's one thing to run some tests. But it's not about the test that you run. It's about who interprets that test. How do you interpret that data? Because not every doctor, not every practitioner is going to interpret that data the same. So um, if you are going to do a heavy metal detox, make sure the person knows exactly what they're doing. Um, At Enterprise, we've got Christine, who is a qualified naturopath. However, there's quite a bit of a waiting list to get on with Christine. So, I mean, you can contact us, but we might send you to our friends at Remed who are in Hawthorne Um, and you can go see Emma there and tell her Mark sent you from Enterprise if you can't get in with Christine that's okay the people at Remed will be able to help you um, no doubt so hope you enjoyed this podcast as always folks train hard supplement smart and eat well and stay listening to the Enterprise podcast and for more information check us out melbournepersonaltrainers.com Shoot us a line on Facebook and now on Instagram. Speak soon.